Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. All right, let's pray, okay? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for these children, Lord. Thank you for their families. Thank you for the joy they bring to our hearts to be able to minister to them, to teach them and lead them. And I just pray your blessing on them as you continue to work in their hearts. Thank you for our leaders who uh, work so hard to prepare lessons and uh, music and to worship with them. So bless them now and thank you for them. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you guys, good to see you today. Thanks for coming. We have a great group of children, and as we hear about babies being born, of course that means we're going to continue to need help in our children's ministry and our nursery. So if you're ever inclined to be part of the, their lives and to teach and lead them, you be sure and talk to Susie Bates. Talk to one of us as pastors. We'll be glad to put you in contact with Susie and have a part in that. Uh, let's pray. Father, as we open your word, uh, we pray that we will hear your words today, and uh, your, your words will speak to our hearts as we draw close to you in Christ's name. Amen. There are many Bible lessons that are so well known that usually just a phrase can kind of recall, for example, Christmas. You know, all you got to do is say Christmas, and right away the whole context of the birth of Christ and all the events that surrounded that all come to the front. Uh, Easter, the death and burial and resurrection of our Savior, all we have to do is say Easter. Some of the parables that the Lord told for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think even people that aren't that familiar with the Bible, yet you say the Good Samaritan, generally there's a kind of a story that comes to mind. The prodigal son, right? The prodigal son. Uh, we read the Bible, we think of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the road to where? Damascus. If I just said you, the road to Damascus, it would conjure up these thoughts. You know, in the Old Testament, the rabbis and the Jewish sages and teachers, they also have some phrases in Hebrew for, 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 a, for an incident, a story. When I say story, these are real, true stories, of course, from the Bible. And one of those, one of those stories uh, is known in Hebrew um, as Ha-Akida. Ha-Akida. And uh, it's, a, it's just a phrase and uh, when anytime you would say to a rabbis or teachers or those familiar with the Jewish context, uh, today we're going to talk about Ha'akida. They would know exactly what you're talking about. Because in the English, uh, that word is simply translated, um, the next slide there for me, the binding. The binding. And it's the story from Genesis chapter 22. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to look this morning as we consider some of the names given to God or places where God did something special. We're going to look today at the story of the binding. And this is why we'll see why it's simply called the binding, Ha'akida. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God, God, God tested Abraham. Not Satan, God tested Abraham. Now when we see sometime later, of course that would take us back to the chapter 21 that we looked at a few weeks ago, and we considered there the story of Abraham losing his son Ishmael, his firstborn son. 
Uh, and we, as we talked about that week, it was his son. He loved this son. It was, it was his firstborn. It was his son. And he had to send Ishmael away. And Ishmael's gone. He has another son, Isaac. And we looked at that story of why Ishmael was sent away, but Abraham lost his son. He only has two, Ishmael and Isaac. And we see here that sometime later, God tests Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And Abraham replies, here I am. Here I am, Lord. And God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac. It's the only son he has now. Ishmael is gone. Take your son. He's a young adolescent, young teenager. Your only son, Isaac. And if to make it even kind of take it in closer and harder, the son whom you love. Some have seen a, a correspondence here to, to Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham was called in the first place. And the Lord calls to Abraham and says, number one, leave your country. Taking it deeper, leave your people. And taking it deeper still, leave your father's household. This, this series of three that goes deeper and deeper. And he says again, take your son, your only son, the son of your love, whom you love, Isaac. And I want you to go to the region of Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, we've looked at this story before. Last Father's Day, we read through this passage. But again, I don't think I have to, I don't have to take you too deep to ask you to give thought what this means. Uh, parents, grandparents, you know, we talked about this with Ishmael, to, to lose a child, to have to send a child away. And now to take his, his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves deeply, whom, whom every promise that God has made depends on this son. God has promised him uh, nations and, and, and a worldwide blessing and all these wonderful things, but it all depends on one son. And he now has this son. And he asks Abraham to take this son, take him to the region of Moriah, and there to offer him, in the Hebrew, you could say, as a holocaust. It's a burnt offering. That's where the word holocaust comes. It comes from this idea of, of, of to burn it to ashes. Take the son whom you love, offer him as a sacrifice, and burn him to ashes. So there is nothing left of this son. This is what I want you to do, Abraham, with your son. And verse 3, and you notice there's no, there's no conversation with Abraham doesn't say anything, but as he did with Ishmael, um, we look at verse 14 of chapter 21, early the next morning, Abraham took food, skin of water, gave them to Hagar, sent them away. Abraham has to sleep on this if he could sleep that night, but the next morning, early in the morning, the wheels begin to turn. Abraham. And, and the, the detail in this story is sort of like almost a slow motion kind of story that we get this detail to really help us explore a little bit the depth of what God is asking him to do. This is the same God who abhors human sacrifice. This is the same God that's made it clear in the Bible he abhors human sacrifice. The nations around Abraham, the nations in the Near East, practiced human sacrifice. 
There was a god in the Near East called Molech, whom they would offer their babies as burnt sacrifices to Molech. God abhorred that. God hated it. But God asks him to do this now. And so as we get this slow motion story, early the next morning, Abraham gets up. He saddles his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood, again the detail, when he had cut enough wood for a burnt offering, for a holocaust, he sets out for the place that God had told him about. And you notice on the third day, it was a three days journey, for three days Abraham and Isaac and the two servants journeyed by foot to this location. And they walked, and you can use your imagination and wonder what they talked about. What would you talk about with your son or, or daughter if you knew in three days this was going to happen? And they went for three days till they get to the location that God had told them to go to. And on the third day, Abraham looks up, and again, this attention to detail. And the Hebrew says he lifted his eyes. He lifted his eyes. And we we'll see this throughout this story and throughout the book of, of uh, Genesis, actually. It's like they lift their eyes. He lifted his eyes. He lifted his eyes. He looked up, and he saw the place in the distance, the mountain of Moriah, in the land of Moriah. And he tells his servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And, of course, this very poignant phrase by Abraham, we will worship because when you, when you bring an offering, a sacrifice, you are going to worship. That's what you're going to do. We are going to worship. We are going to sacrifice. They knew they were going to sacrifice. They had the wood. They had the fire. They had the knife. It was a large knife used for dismembering an animal. Everything was in place. Everything was there. They knew what they were going to do. But then you notice he says, we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Who's going to come back? He's going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. He's going to burn him as a holocaust. But he says, we are going and we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. Now, in Christian tradition, the Christian church for centuries, going back to the earliest church, actually, and you read some of the um, uh, theology of the early church fathers and and the, the theologians and the leaders and the pastors, that there is seen in this typology of Jesus Christ. Typology means that something is used to give us a picture of something else. It becomes a type of something else. This is a very real story. This is not a parable. But in this very real story, there are some things that, that connect with the story of Christ. And you'll notice here that, that, that he puts the wood... He puts the wood for the burnt offering on his son Isaac. Isaac becomes the burden, the, the bearer of burden. He becomes the one who bears the wood on the way to the sacrifice. And we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told so clearly in the story, he carried what? He carried his cross until he fell and could not carry it anymore. And Simon the Serene was, 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 was taken to carry it. So Isaac takes this wood, and he is carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And, and, and Abraham, he himself carries the fire and the knife. They are getting close to the sacrifice. 
And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and finally says to his father, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's obvious, I assume that along the way he figured somewhere along the way Abraham was going to pick up an animal to sacrifice because you sacrifice animals. And they're finally to the location and Abraham has not picked up an animal. There is no animal. It is just Abraham and Isaac and everything for the sacrifice. And, and finally he says, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb? What are we going to sacrifice? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Isn't that interesting? He is going to sacrifice Isaac. And he is saying, God, God has provided. I'm not going to tell you yet, but God has provided. It, it'll be there. God will take care. God will provide the sacrifice for the burnt offering. And so as he gets there, the two of them continue on, and they reach the place, verse 9, that God had told him about at Mount Moriah. Again, this attention to detail. Abraham builds the altar there. Look at the detail. He arranges the wood. It's almost like he's dragging this out. You know, he's this, this slow motion. He puts the wood carefully in place. And after he does this, the Akita, the binding, this is where it comes from, the binding of Isaac, the Akita. He bound him. He tied him up with ropes. He tied him so he couldn't move. He tied him to place him on the altar. And I want to remind you, all the theologians, Jewish and Christian, um, all, all concur that, that Isaac is a, young, is a young adolescent. He's a young person. He's not a child. He's not like, he's not like the kids that were up here. He's like the kids that are in our youth group program. Um, he could have been as big as one of you guys there, you know? And, um, and, and, and you notice it says that, that Abraham, he, he takes Isaac, and I have to ask you, Abraham's an old man, and yet Isaac somehow gets laid on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac is willing. I mean, I don't know what's going through his mind. He's got to be shocked, but he's willing to do this. He doesn't resist. He doesn't fight. He allow, again, the typology of Christ, that, that Christ went to the cross of Calvary. He wasn't taken. He went to the cross of Calvary. When he set his eyes on Jerusalem, his disciples said, don't go there. In the, in the New Testament, the gospel writer says he set his eyes on Jerusalem because that's where he had to go. He went to the cross of Calvary. And Isaac willingly allows himself, he goes to this altar. He would have to get up on it. Abraham is going to have a hard time picking up this boy and putting him on the altar. I think Isaac got on the altar and Abraham laid him out on the altar. This, 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 this young man, this adolescent boy. And Abraham places them on the altar. And he raises his knife. And he raises his knife, in verse 10, he reached out his hand, he took the knife to slay his son. And I don't mean to be uh, gruesome here, but he would slit his throat. That's how you sacrifice an animal. And drain the blood. And he reached out his hand for the knife, and as he lifted his knife, and he didn't, it doesn't say he held it there and waited for God to do something. He lifted his knife and as he did so, the angel of the Lord, Hamalek Adonai, the angel of the Lord, whom we saw earlier in the stories of Ishmael and Sarah and Hagar, cried out to him 
Do not touch that boy. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on that boy. Do not do anything to him. Don't touch him. Don't slay him. Don't kill him. Do not do it. Now I know that you fear God because you have not, verse 12, you had not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up. He lifted his eyes again. Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw, and the, and the Hebrew indicates possibly right, right behind him, right behind him, caught by its horns, was a ram. He went over and he took that ram and he did lift his knife again. And he did sacrifice it. And he did offer it as a holocaust, as a burnt offering. And he notice it says here, instead of his son. In verse 18, verse 18, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham gave a name to that altar and a name to that place, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yahweh. The Lord will provide. And that place, when Moses writes this, and Moses wrote the five books of Moses, he writes that, and he says that to this day, that area, that place is still known as Jehovah Jireh, the place where God will provide. You know, it's interesting, in the Hebrew, literally, on that, that phrase there, it says, the Lord will see to it. The word provide there really is, the Lord will see, it's the word, it's the word for see, it's the Hebrew word, yareh, ra'ah, it's the idea to look at something to see. And all it says is, Abraham calls this place, the Lord will see to it. And you know, it's a fascinating account. When you, know, when you think of the typology, when you think of this connection with Christ, isn't it interesting that, that Isaac, in so many ways, is a type of Christ? He is what? He is Abraham's what? Only son. Yes, Ishmael is a son, but he is the only chosen son of Abraham and Sarah. He is the only begotten son. He is the son whom the father loves. He is the son who is willing to go to the sacrifice. He is the son who is, who is willing to become a burnt offering, a sacrifice, and to be killed. The sacrifice was an act of worship to God and it had to do with, with sin and removal of sin. And Jesus Christ and Isaac, there is, there is, you know, the third day they got there, there are so many things that, that, that speak of this connection between Isaac as being sort of a looking ahead in the picture of Christ, and you take Christ and you look back and you begin to see these. But then all of a sudden, there's another character in this story. There is Abraham, there is Isaac, there are the two servants who went and who were left behind. Uh, some of the Hebrew scholars drew some analogy with um, with Ishmael and also the servant of Abraham, who Abraham wanted to be uh, the heir of his family. Uh, but, but this idea that these two other men were left behind. But you have all these pictures, and then all of a sudden, another character comes into the story, and that is, that is the ram. 
the ram that was placed on the altar. This ram, that an innocent ram, who has nothing to do with this story, but is put there by God, all of a sudden becomes the substitute sacrifice for Isaac. And all of a sudden this typology all sort of shifts from Isaac to this ram, a lamb we could say, who was caught, who was there, and all of a sudden appeared and became the sacrifice for Isaac. And he specifically says, instead of your son Isaac. You know, it's interesting, and you go to the New Testament, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bibles for a moment, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, where we get another look at this story, and it's interesting in the New Testament, we sometimes get insights into the Old Testament that aren't there in the Old Testament. But in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the, the account of, of faith and uh, heroes of the Old Testament, faith, if you will, people who, who lived and served God by faith, Abraham was a great man of faith. Abraham was willing to give up both of his sons to God. Was there anything else? And God says, Abraham, now I know that you will not, you will not keep anything from me. If you're willing to give me your second son, I, I, I understand. And I know, and of course God knew, you are willing to give in anything to me. He was a tremendous man of faith. But in verse 17 of chapter 11, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, remember the Bible says God put him to the test. And notice what said, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And you will see the same language in the book of James, where James draws a comparison of, of, of Abraham offering Isaac as a demonstration of, of true faith, that a faith that acts itself out. And in both cases, there's this language that, that Abraham did it. He offered Isaac. It doesn't say he, he thought about it. Or, but, but he offered him. He actually offered Isaac. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham offered Isaac. As far as the Bible writers are concerned, he did it. Did he? Yes, he did. Abraham did offer Isaac. Because the substitute that God provided was Isaac. If, you know, um, when I played basketball and you're on the bench and the coach says, hey, Jim, I want you to go in for so-and-so, you go in as a substitute. But when you go in, you are, now, you are now the center. If I replace the center, he's out. I am the center. I am the substitute, but I am the center. And I play as the center. And everything that happens, I'm the substitute but I am the center. And this ram was sacrificed by Isaac as a substitute. And Abraham did offer the sacrifice that God called him to do. And of course, we get this powerful insight from the author of Hebrews, whoever the author was, whether it was Paul or one of the other apostles, notice what he says here. And this is the key, verse 19. We aren't told this in the Old Testament, except where he says, we will come back to you. But you notice what it says in verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Therefore, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Why? Because a sacrifice was given. 
as a substitute. But as Abraham said, we will come back. You know, this, this is a powerful, powerful verse of Scripture. Abraham reasoned in his mind. God said, in Isaac, your seed will be known. In Isaac, the nations will come. In Isaac, every promise I've given you will be fulfilled. In Isaac. Yitzhak. Yitzhak Perlman, the violinist, same name, Yitzhak. In Isaac. And Abraham reasons to himself, you know, this is, this is God's problem. <laughs> this, is God, this is God's problem. He's going to have to figure this out. I'm going to be obedient. It probably didn't make sense. It hurt horribly. <laughs> but he was going to do it. Why? Not because he thought, oh, well, Sarah and I can have more children. <laughs> That's not what he thought. Because God said in Isaac, that's why Ishmael was gone. But he reasoned, if God needs to, he will have to take these ashes and somehow bring them back to life. He had never seen this happen. There are no accounts of the resurrection to this point. This is not something he's familiar with. But he has such strong faith in God, he believes the completely unbelievable that God would take these ashes and somehow recreate and give him his son back so God would be faithful to his word. And the author of Hebrews said, therefore he did receive him back from death because he believed this. The lamb that was slain was for Isaac. You know, as we come to Thanksgiving, it's a great time of year. And... Um, you know, I hope you can come to our dinner tonight. It's a great celebration every year, and we really mean that. If you didn't get a chance to get a ticket and you want to come, the Dollars class has made room for you, uh, come. And uh, they're working hard on this. Probably some are down there now working on this. We're going to have a great meal. It's a great time. Thanksgiving's a wonderful time. It's, a, it's good. You know, we are to be a thankful people always, aren't we? You know, we're not just thankful on Thanksgiving. We all understand that. But it is still good to set a day aside that we just make a point. And this season, you know, our service on Wednesday night, as Gary mentioned, will be a time where we, uh, where we, just, we, we just share our thanks together. We have testimonies from you. You know, you don't have to plan it. You just stand up and share what you're thankful for. We sing songs. We have a little devotion from Scripture. It's a great time of year. What are you thankful for? And I just, you know, we have, to, listen, as God's people, we have to stop and proclaim, first of all, above everything else, that we are thankful for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mike, the next slide, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son. I want you to notice the language from Romans 8, 32. The language from Romans 8, 32 is so similar to the Greek translation of the Old Testament that when God says, Abraham, I, I know that you, that you worship me and you love me because you have not withheld your own son. You did not spare your own son. And this Thanksgiving, as always, once again, we must first and foremost proclaim as Christians that we are so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see in this story, who was the type of, that Isaac was his type. But as John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus and said what? Behold the Lamb of God who 
takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. And in the book of Revelation, we see the Lamb of God. And friends, we this Thanksgiving stop to thank God that Jesus Christ willingly carried the wood, willingly went to the cross, and when the Father had to raise the knife, as it were, to slay him, because the author of Isaiah 53 says it pleased God to crush him on the cross, to strike him on the cross. That when God did that, there was no voice to say, wait a minute, stop, don't touch him. Because it was the only way. It's the only way that you and I can be here today and receive God's forgiveness for our sins because Jesus carried my sin on the cross of Calvary. He who did not spare his own son, as the author of Hebrews says, our author of Romans says, the Apostle Paul, but gave him up for all us. And then he says this in Romans 8, 32, in this passage that we, that we love so much. Will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And I think Paul is particularly talking here about the spiritual implications of eternal life, forgiveness for sins, the indwelling Holy Spirit, God has given all of us everything that we need as believers in Jesus Christ to live lives pleasing to him. To live lives, you know, this, this past week, we had, the last 10 days, we've had two memorial services here at our church. And then Wednesday, Wednesday night, our brother John Fisk went home to be with the Lord. John, who was a longtime course member, he and Sylvia, an important part of our church family, and you know, the last time I visited John, uh, it, it, it was a joy to be with John. You know, and as I mentioned before, one of the experiences as pastor that I have as I go visit people, you know, as we think of, all the, think of all the stages of life, I look at this congregation today and I see all the stages of life that are represented here. And if, as we go through life and, and sometimes we think ahead and think, wow, what is it going to be like when we come toward the end of our life? And of all John did, his work, his families, his ministries here at Berean, his, his love for the Lord, and when it comes down toward the end of John's life, and, and John is in a, a small room, smaller than this area right here, the few things he has in there is, is, is what, this is what he has, this is it. And he has his family, his daughters, and Larry, that, you know, they came to visit him and care for him. He made friends there, and it was Okay. It was okay. And it wasn't a frightful thing when John died. It's a sad. It's sad for the family. It's always sad for us who are here. But there was no fear because John had a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and, the, and God had promised him in Romans 8 that he will freely give you everything that you need. And this Thanksgiving, friends, I just want to remind you that God has freely given you everything that you need. We're all in different places. We all have different things. We all have different challenges. But we all have the same God. And we all have the same promise. And as Philippians 4, 19, 
as the Apostle Paul in this passage, as he comes in this, in this epistle, this prison epistle, as he is in house arrest, but he is in prison. He's not going anywhere until the Romans let him out. And he writes to this church at Philippi. And as he writes to them, a man who, who I'm sure would rather be out traveling and preaching and planting churches and doing the things that God had called him in for, in for two years, for five years he's languished in prison, two years in Caesarea, half a year in between and traveling to Rome. And there are two years in Rome Four to five years languishing under the Roman authority, not being able to do the things that he wants to do. But then he talks to, the, to the, these people in, in Philippi, and he, and, he t- and he thanks them for the gifts in verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid and aid again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, verse 18, even more. I am amply supplied. He's in prison. I am amply supplied. Now I receive from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. In verse 19, and my God will supply, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Amen? Friends, this Thanksgiving, God has given us salvation. I trust you are thankful for that. I trust you will take time and express your thanks to God for going that Christ went to the cross of Calvary and became the Lamb of God who was slain but rose again, victorious over death, and has given you and me eternal life and forgiveness for sins. I trust that you will give God thanks that for our spiritual lives and what really matters and really counts, God has given us everything. We have God. In that same passage in Romans 8, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? We have God. And we belong to God. And God knows how to take care of what belongs to him. Parents and grandparents, we saw these children that went out. Pretty soon they're going to be teenagers. Pretty soon they'll be going to college, going to the military, getting married, heading out. And I know as parents and grandparents, we think about our children and our grandchildren and, and we think about, and some of you great-grandchildren, and we think about what, where, what is the future? What is, what is, listen, friends, if they belong to God, he knows how to take care of them. We're here to do our part to help put God's word in their heart, to model for them the love of God. They belong to him. And then finally, friends, this Thanksgiving, and I know some of you are in challenging situations right now. I know that. Life is challenging. Life can be difficult. There are unexpected things that take place. But either this is true or it's not true. And I just want to remind you today that every one of us has a place to stop and give God thanks. My God shall supply all that you need, all that you need, according to his riches and glory by Christ. Jesus. Come, thankful people, come. Bring God the praise and the honor, and let us give God thanks. He is so good, and he has blessed us with so much. Let's give thanks together this week as the family of God. Let's close our service with a great song, a great hymn that we know. I want you to sing it now like you really understand and know these words. Because we have a wonderful God who loves us.
and has provided for us and has given us the place to come and to worship and to serve and to fellowship, to enjoy meals together. We have truly a wonderful God. Gary? Excuse the analogy, but this morning, just before I woke up, I was having a dream, one of those last-minute dreams, you know, just before, any sport dreams, you know, just before you wake up. Michael's going, yeah, I know, I have those dreams. And, you know, I, I literally, I dreamt, I was reading the morning paper, and the Huskies lost 24 to 22, another heartbreaker to Oregon State last night. And then I saw that the Sounders, this is true, I mean, the dream is true. And then I saw that the Sounders got beat, even though it was a tie score by some odd MLS thing that they do. <laughs> they were eliminated one to nothing. And then I woke up. I thought, wait a minute, I watched that game last night. They won that game last night. It was a good game, and, and the Sounders haven't played yet. And you know what? Sometimes throughout the week, we kind of get beat down a little bit, and we sometimes just kind of lose fact of the truth of what we just sang. Great is God's faithfulness. Bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings for today. And we come back on Sundays, and I hope we come back and are just rejuvenated a little bit and be reminded by singing and sharing God's word and being together, God's going to take care of us. God wins, and we belong to God. Heavenly Fathers, we leave this place. Uh, we are just reminded of why we are such a thankful people. You love us. Your son died for us. We have eternal hope to be in your presence and to serve you for all eternity. We are forgiven for our sins. We have friends and family. We are here today with our health. We have food. We have shelter. We have the opportunity to minister and serve others. Lord, you've been so good. And I pray that this church family will truly be, and this pastor will truly be, a thankful people this Thanksgiving. Great is your faithfulness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.